0: Welcome to the Life Christian Church podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread his love in ever-widening circles. Well, good morning, everyone, and want to welcome our online campus as well. If we haven't met, my name's Ryan Moore. I'm the pastor of care here at the Life Christian Church. And today I want to talk about the season that we're in, Advent. And I want to look at the theme of Advent, What Are You Waiting For? Four, Advent. We talk about it a lot during this season, but what is Advent? The Advent season is a four-week period before Christmas that celebrates the anticipation and coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Advent is a season of expectation as we look forward to Christmas Day, the time we celebrate God sending his own son, Jesus To the earth. Jesus came to minister the hope, the joy, the love, and the peace of heaven to us and become the bridge for all who would believe in him. Advent is also a time of waiting, and waiting isn't always easy. It's certainly not easy for children as they count down the days till Christmas and all those presents that'll be under the tree. But It's also tough for adults as well, because we hate to wait. We hate to wait. You you guys know what I'm talking about. We hate to wait in places like the doctor's office, right? The doctor, it took all day. We hate to wait in checkout lines. We have now the Express, 10 items or less, so people can get out, and... God forbid, the test of our Christian faith and character, and I feel so convicted. Traffic! We hate to wait in traffic. But the reason, why do we hate to wait? Carol J. Bruce is a professor of communication and journalism and director of family studies at the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. She says this, Waiting too long in a line is often perceived as a violation of our right to manage and control our time. We live in one of the most individualistic cultures in the world, which means we want what we want, and we want it now. And it better be quick and easy. Bruce goes on, she says, the notion that we should be able to meet our needs without waiting too long, coupled with the reality that many of us get a bit irritated or anxious, when we have to wait too long for something we think we need or want is so deeply and culturally ingrained in us, we become to believe it's natural to not want to wait longer than we think we should wait. But scripture says in Psalms 27:14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And once again, the emphasis, wait for the Lord. We have to wait for our circumstances to change. We have to wait for people in our lives to change. We have to wait for the world around us to change. And the longer we wait, the less peace, the less joy, the less hope, the less love we feel. Doubt and uncertainty begin to cloud our thinking. We get distracted and we get discouraged, and it can happen to the best of us, and it happened to John the Baptist. The longer he waited for the promise of the Christ or the Messiah to change things, the less peaceful he was, less peaceful he felt. And if you have your Bible or your browser today, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 11 where we will dive into this text and see what John the Baptist went through and also what we go through as well. Quick background as we dive into this text. Word travels fast, news of all Jesus' activities makes its way to John the Baptist, who, by the way, is in prison. And John sends his own disciples to ask Jesus if he is really the one. And Scripture says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? We learned something from this. Our first point today is Jesus does not always fulfill the expectations that we place on him. Jesus does not always fulfill the expectations that we place on him. We are people of expectations. When we go to bed at night, We expect the sun to rise in the morning. We expect others to stop at a stop sign. We expect the church to be open on Sunday, the lights on, an inspirational message, and the band to be amazing. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We have expectations for what is appropriate behavior for ourselves and also for others. Our days are full of expectations. They offer some predictability, in our life, an order in our life. There are other expectations, however, that affect us more profoundly than the day-to-day. Sometimes there are expectations of hope, and there's also times where those expectations we dread. Either way, they have the power to imprison us. And John the Baptist is waiting, and he's expectant. And the summary of John's life is John is the voice crying out in the wilderness of Judea. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 23. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. He expects a new kingdom and a new ruler. He expects wrath and fire and swords. He expects one who is more powerful. John's expectations have given him the the, the confidence and also the ability to turn his back on the religious establishment, to go to the desert and to seek God in the wild and untamed places of life to the point of him being incarcerated. Why is he in prison? John has been incarcerated by his own expectations of who the Messiah is and how the Messiah should act. His vision of the kingdom is too small. His expectation of the Messiah is too narrow. That is the danger of holding our expectations too tightly. Whether they are expectations of hope or expectations that we dread, our own expectations often blind us to the one who is coming, to the one who is more powerful. We imprison ourselves with this view of God and the kingdom and this world that we live in, and our own lives, that's too small. It's too narrow. We try to confine God's work in life to our expectations. But that's not how God acts, and that's not who God is. And so while John languished in prison, he had to think, and he had to listen to all the things Jesus was reported to be doing and saying, and this raised questions in John's mind. I want to read from a different uh, translation here. It's the message version in Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, which says this this is the question in John's mind. And he verbally tells his disciples, Go tell Jesus this. Are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? So there's this doubt in John's mind. What provokes doubt? Difficulty? Trials? adverse times. It's it's most natural to doubt when life is hard. It's natural to wonder why things are happening the way they are if God is good and gracious as we say he is. We find our faith can be shaken when a loved one dies, when we get a bad diagnosis on a health report. Our children suffer. There's senseless acts of violence, a natural disaster, Accidents where many people have lived, but your friends did not. A relationship ends, or you're fired unjustly from your job. Your friends turn, your back, turn their back on you, or the doors of opportunity seems to be nailed shut. These are times when our faith is shaken, and the reason is because we preach and teach about God's strength and his protection, and we feel that he's failed us. There's a very natural assumption that if we follow after Christ, our life will be spared many of the hard things that others have to face. When it happens to us, it feels unfair. We wonder if Christianity really works. I'm sure John kept hearing the words of Isaiah that the Messiah was going to set the captives free. But he's wondering, why hasn't he set me free? I'm in jail. I'm in prison. If he's the Messiah, I should be set free if he's setting people free. He told everyone that the Messiah would come as a judge. But I believe John the Baptist is sitting in that prison going, yeah, but there seems to be no justice for me. The same thing happens to us as believers. We believe that being a Christian meant, you know what, I won't have any problems or at least those really big problems we, we believe that hey we'll be shielded from disease and heartache we'll be prosperous enough to have whatever we want our marriages will never be rocky christian people will always be loving and holy <laughs> you will understand everything written in the bible but the problem with all these expectations is they're false expectations. None of these things are based on genuine promises of the Bible. Instead of examining the expectation, people too often dismiss Christianity and say it doesn't work. It also gives room then for the enemy to whisper, Turn away from the Savior, turn away from Him, because if He's really God, he would have fulfilled those promises by now. And so it's always a good idea in a time of doubt to go back to the word of God. Remind ourselves of who Jesus is. Look at his miracles. Listen to his words. See his love. Consider his sacrifice and stand on the reliability of the resurrection. Re-examine the promises of God this season. Very often we claim promises that God never made. God never made promises that life would be easy. And as you examine the scriptures carefully, you'll see he actually said the opposite. In John 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble is translated trouble. Hard times, difficulty, heartache, pain, pain. But then he says this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What he has promised is his presence and his strength in those difficult times to be with us. So immerse yourself in God's word. Hear again the message of the gospel. We were lost, but now we are found. We were dead, but now we live. We are most susceptible to doubt when we stop preaching and hearing the message of the gospel to ourselves, to ourselves. Don't be afraid of doubt. See it as an opportunity to strengthen your understanding and look at it as an opportunity to hold on to the truth and the character of the Savior. And so, TLCC, what are you waiting for this Advent? Advent online campus, what are you waiting for this Advent? Put it in the chat, because God will deliver. And that's going to be our second point that's coming. And so we've learned so far, Jesus does not always fulfill the expectations that we place on him. Amen? Everyone tracking? All right, let's go. Our part, our point two is this. Jesus keeps his promises In greater ways than we expected. Jesus keeps his promises in greater ways than we expected. We see this in verse 4 and 5 of Matthew chapter 11. It says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor." I greatly appreciate how Jesus deals with John's doubts. He he loved John. He respected his sincere question. Our Lord didn't rebuke John for asking, but he did give him the answer he needed. And that's what we read here. Jesus answered and said to him, he says, tell John this. He tells his disciples, John's disciples, "Go, go tell John this. Go back and report to him what you hear, and what you see. And so personally, I just want to share something at this point. Perhaps there's a lesson for everyone. Sometimes our doubts and our struggles are eased through another brother or sister that Jesus sends to us. I believe it's a grace gift. And this is what happens here, that John's disciples then go back and report To John, what Jesus said to him, which changes his whole perspective. And so I I just want to say that personally this week has been a challenge for me. I began the week in discouragement. By midweek, I was imprisoned by anxiety, the motion of it. And anxiety tends to produce in us a feeling of what's next? It's a feeling that somehow our world has been pulled out underneath us and we have no idea how far, how hard we're going to fall and in what direction we're going to fall. But I thank God that God sends people to encourage and strengthen me in that time. So Wednesday night I received a a prayer text from Michelle Torres. Many of you are familiar with Michelle Torres, she's one of our co-directors at K-Port Ministry right here at the Life Christian Church. And, you know, this text came in, I was home, and bing, this is what the text read. I'll read it to you. She said this in the text. Lord God, I pray for Ryan tonight that you will give his soul, body, and mind rest. Please lift the burden of anxiety from his soul and help him to give it to you and take on Jesus' freedom. Build new pathways in his mind that go away from anxious thoughts. Help him to take the manna just for today and not worry about tomorrow. Amen. Amen. This prayer comforted me. It stabilized me. Not only did I have a great night's sleep, But God reminded me of his truth and his sustaining word and power. Tomorrow has a whole lot of worries that we don't need to be concerned about. What we have is time right here. And he takes care of us through all the things that happen in our life. And so what happened there for me was it just comforted me. It strengthened me to know that God has a word for you it's going to come through a person that they'll send. And this is what happened to me. And it happened to John as well. Notice what Jesus does not say to John's disciple. He doesn't say, yes, I am. I'm I'm the Messiah. I'm the right one, baby. Doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, tell John, yep, I'm him. I'm the Messiah, man. Doesn't say that neither. He doesn't even say, hey, tell John I'm going to free him from his current difficult circumstance. Doesn't say that neither. Instead, Jesus tells John's disciple, go back and report to him what you're seeing and what you're hearing. And when what you're seeing and hearing is the fulfillment of several of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, Jesus then goes on to pass his messianic credibility to John. And he tells his disciples you've seen this, you're hearing this, you've watched this with your own eyes, the testimony of others as well, go report that to them. What was the testimony? We see it in verse five, Matthew 11, verse five, the blind receive sight, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. These, of course, were all things that Jesus had done. The disciples of John saw it with their own eyes, and they heard the testimony of many others. And I remind you that we have the same testimony recorded for us in Scripture so we too might believe in him. But there's more. The report of these things would have been tremendously significant to any Jewish man or woman who knew the Old Testament promises of the Messiah. Every Jewish person who was truly paying attention and who knew the scriptures would have been remembered of such passages as Isaiah twenty-nine eighteen? It's a promise of the glorious days of the coming of the Messiah. And it says, in that day, the deaf will what? Hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Or perhaps they remembered Isaiah 35, 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Or maybe... They understood Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, where the Messiah himself prophetically speaks words that Jesus clearly attributed to himself during his earthly ministry, Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, the spirit of the Lord, of the sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I believe when the disciples of John went back and told John these things, what they heard and saw, John remembered these promises. And his heart was encouraged that indeed, this is the Messiah and his people have been waiting for. Jesus was truly doing what the scriptures promised and the Messiah would do. And so it's good news for us as well, because the Messiah has come to the earth, and he's coming again, and he is with us, he's Emmanuel. God is presently with us. And so seeing is believing for him. Believe what you see. The problem isn't the kingdom, it's our view of it. John and his disciples were looking for the wrong thing. They were expecting military power, swift judgment, but Jesus came offering forgiveness. Others were anticipating a king in a palace wearing soft clothes. But Jesus came to die on a cross, wearing only crowns of thorns. And we fall into that trap. We don't see the kingdom at work around us because we're looking for the wrong thing. We've been looking for a quick solution to all of our problems. But Jesus calls us to take up your cross and follow him. We may be looking for the church to grow, but we may be missing the call that Jesus says, here's some needs that we first need to address. We miss seeing our own lives changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we miss seeing the healing, the resurrection, and the good news happening right under our noses. The question for all of us is, are we disappointed with Jesus? Has he failed in some way to fulfill our expectations? perhaps it's because we've not really expected really enough of him perhaps we've only looked to him to provide something that we really want but didn't realize what he first came to provide everything that we need perhaps we have not trusted him as he first came to be the lamb of god who sacrificed himself for the sins of the world it's a word that Jesus spoke to John, but I believe it's intended to be an encouragement to us who have doubts at times, who struggle at times, who have disappointments about Jesus at times. And that's our last point for today, the encouragement. The encouragement is happy is the man who never loses faith in me. We see Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse six. "'Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me,' What is the scripture saying? Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me, or happy is the man who never loses faith in me. And I believe that truly captures the spirit of Jesus' word of encouragement in this verse. What Jesus is saying is this. Blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. If John was offended by the ways things were turning out, Jesus wanted him to know that this is the way God intended his kingdom to come. Jesus wasn't trying to ignore John or belittle John and his work, Jesus knew that John was in a very dangerous situation. And he also knew that his own ministry depended on John's preparing the way before him. So instead of downplaying John's importance, Jesus lifts him up to the crowd as the greatest person who ever lived up until now. We see that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. It says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And yet, John, how can John be both the greatest person ever born while the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John? The answer lies in John's unique place in human history. John's ministry marks both the end of the old order and the beginning of the new. He is the bridge between the kingdoms of earth and the kingdom of heaven. John lies at the turning point of this ministry. This is the point where promises become fact, where prophecies become reality and nothing can ever be the same. It's the beginning of a new era. This is where grace takes over and the kingdom of God breaks into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And so John is at the pivot point between the old and the new, between the prophecy and its fulfillment between what was and what is now. John himself comes to this realization and conclusion in John 3, verse thirty. And he says this of of Jesus, that Jesus must what? Become greater, and I must become less. John knows that his job description has changed. No longer is he the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Now John must exchange that prophetic stance with that of a disciple. His job description now is to magnify the Lord. The, The encouragement to us today is Jesus is saying this, hang in there. Brothers and sisters, hang in there, dear suffering one. Realize that I'm much greater than the little box that we all put him into at times. Believe what the scriptures say about him. Trust me to do what you want me to do, but even more. Trust me what I pledge to do in the promises of scripture. And if you trust me in that way, I'll never disappoint. You'll find that I've accomplished everything I said I would do and more. You'll find that I'm more than you ever discovered. And in due time, you'll be eternally satisfied in me. But in the meantime, we have to wait. We have to wait on the Lord. What does it mean to wait on the Lord, as Scripture says in uh, Psalm 27, 14? Let's, Let's define it. Um, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia defines it this way, the word wait. The most important and frequent use of the word wait, however, is to define the attitude of a soul Godward. It implies the listening ear, a heart responsive to the wooing of God, a concentration of the spiritual faculties upon heavenly things, the patience of faith, the earnest expectation of the creation. It describes an eager anticipation and yearning for the revelation of truth and love as it is in the Father. The waiting on the Lord then is not just a sitting around type of waiting where we're twiddling our thumbs, kind of waiting, waiting for God to show up one day. No, it's not that. It's not the kind of anxious waiting where we are fearful of the outcome either. This is a waiting with eager expectancy. This is a waiting that has action behind it. The action is of exercising our faith in eager anticipation. And so it's like when a woman is pregnant, we say she is expecting, but she has to wait for nine months. But she waits, how? Actively. Expecting a specific result, a baby. She prepares for the little one's arrival, and there's a knowledge that in due time her baby will arrive. She's not passively sitting around thinking, well, I'll just sit here and see what happens. So in the same way, we are to be waiting with anticipation on God, not like, oh, something may unfold or may may not, but actively pursuing after God and our faith in him eagerly anticipating that what he said he will do, he's going to deliver because he's God and he never fails us. And so Advent is a time for us to make space. We all live in a busy world, I get it. But the main action in Advent is God's, but we have to do our part too. We are not waiting passively for God to act, Rather, we have to make room for God's action to be something we can welcome in, something that we can pay attention to when it happens. And so the the image of the inn and the stable are helpful because there was no room at the inn for Mary, Joseph, and Jesus because it was too full. But the stable was poor and simple, but it had space. It had shelter for them. And so in the same way, During this season, let's make space for God, make room for him, that we anticipate what he's going to do powerfully right here in our church, but also in our lives and in our families. So ask some questions this Advent season. Pause a bit and say, is my heart open to God? What are the superficial concerns or worries to let go of in order to make room for the presence of Jesus to reign this Christmas? And is my life too rushed and busy with holiday prep that I'm not building in time to make space for Christ? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come may I offer a prayer of confession of our faith, not of repentance, (laughs) a prayer of confession of our faith. Pray with me, if you please. We confess today, Lord, that your resurrection power is released on our behalf to turn all our trials, all our struggles, all of our doubts, God, and our dead-end situations, that you would turn them around in our life. We don't trust our own efforts. We don't trust our human thinking, but we trust you, God, in your life-giving power. We choose to partake of this power today by releasing our circumstances to you, Lord. We trust you to perfect that which concerns us, and we look to see your power made manifest this day in our lives. We declare this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Amen. Praise God.